Hello, friends. Last week, we introduced you to Ascent Nutrition's mold and mycotoxin-free organic coffee. Now it's time to check out their algae oil DHA. The benefits of algae oil DHA are incredible. It supports a healthy brain, memory, focus, clarity, and concentration, children's brain health, and a healthy development. It supports overall cardiovascular health, healthy DNA function, and a healthy inflammatory response. Algae oil DHA also facilitates quantum tunneling of electrons into the mitochondria for energy use. The list goes on and on. It also contains 250% more DHA than fish oil per unit. It's backed by at least 16 human clinical studies. Go check out all the benefits for yourself at GoAscentNutrition.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your entire order. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Hosting with me is Ryder Lee. Today our guest is Linda Anthony Hill. First, we have a couple of announcements. Forbidden Knowledge News, of course, is always available on Rockfin, Minds, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. We're limited on YouTube. Rockfin is where you find our premium content, as well as all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin. Go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus or click the link in the description to sign up. Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.news. It's the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You're going to find awesome podcasts from our community there. All those links are in the description. And finally, check out our friends at C60 Purple Power. C60 may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man. The benefits have been personally outstanding, but go check them out for yourself. Click the link in the description and get 10% off your order plus free shipping. Today I want to welcome Linda Anthony Hill. She is an award-winning author and proprietor of Hill House Manor in Gainesville, Texas. She and Hill House Manor have been featured on television, radio, as well as the subject of several documentaries. This has given her a unique perspective on what does and doesn't work in capturing evidence at Hill House Manor. Linda, welcome. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, excellent. Hosting with me today is Ryder Lee from Raised by Giants. Ryder, how you doing? Doing lovely, Chris. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm very much looking forward to speaking with Linda about her experiences. Of course, this is going to be great. Uh, now, I've always been fascinated with hauntings and areas of high strangeness or, or strange energy, and Hill House seems to definitely be a notable location for all the above. Uh, I can't wait to get into this discussion today. Linda, this is your first time on. Let's hear more about yourself, your background, and what brought you to get involved with Hill House. Well, my husband and I bought it quite by accident. Now, it, it is in it Galveston, Texas, right? No, no, no. Gainesville, Gainesville, Texas. Texas. Okay. It's right up near the Oklahoma border. Gotcha. We're about 20 minutes from the world's largest casino. So a lot of people will come to investigate and set up everything and then slip out to the casino for an hour or two and come back and start checking their cameras and what have you. Uh, but anyway, we it, it started with a 1031 exchange. I sold a building in another city and it was a commercial building. And in order to do a tax savings, we had to buy a commercial property with the proceeds. So 
My husband found these properties about an hour, hour and a half north of where we lived at the time that were all connected. They were commercial properties in that they were rentable to as residences. And we made an offer and, you know, negotiations went back and forth. And at one point they said that it was all or nothing. We had to take all the properties or there was no deal. So we agreed and told them what our offer would be on all the properties. And then suddenly it was, no, you can pick and choose. And so we started picking and choosing. And this house, we chose not to put on our list because I loved the house. It was a beautiful house, but I just had a feeling about it that it wasn't going to serve as a rental property the way we wanted it to. And when we told them that, they came back and said, no, no, it's all back on the table. It's all or nothing. It was like, if you don't take this house, you can't have any of the houses. So we you know, negotiated some more and ended up with this house as part of the package. There were like 12 properties in this little three-block neighborhood. And this house was the biggest house in the neighborhood and it was in the best shape it was rented when we signed on the dotted line it was rented and by the time we got up there to start making renovations it was empty they had moved out and over the course of a couple of years we started upgrading the neighborhood it was a low rent neighborhood when we started and we started making changes moving out some of the tenants and moving in uh, better tenants, shall we say. And it, it settled down. Within a couple of years, it settled down as a neighborhood into a nice little neighborhood with families in it and children playing in the you know streets and, you know, a nice little neighborhood. Old, but nice. But this house, Hill House Manor, which wasn't called Hill House Manor at the time. I made that up. Um, but Hill House Manor, we couldn't keep tenants in it. They would stay anywhere from two months to six months. No one lasted more than six months. And we didn't know why. We didn't understand what was going on. But finally, after two years, we said, you know, this is not really profitable to rent this thing out and have it turn around in two months. There's so much work to be done after someone moves out of a house. You have to completely repaint the inside and patch up walls and redo things. We said, we'll just, we're, we're coming up here every weekend to work on properties in the neighborhood. We'll just turn this into our weekend house and use it as an office. And, you know, we'll, we'll make use of it, but not as, as a residence. And, one afternoon, my husband was showing a property across the street for rent, and the woman he was showing it to pointed to this house from across the street and said, that house is haunted. My aunt lived there 30 years ago, and it was haunted then, and it's still haunted. And my husband was like, oh, well, that could explain some things. And he told me about it. And I thought, well, you know, if I moved into this old house in a small old neighborhood and all the neighbors were telling me that the house was haunted, then sure. Every time something went bump in the night, I think it was a ghost and I would get scared and leave. And I wrote it off as that. Just, you know, people in the neighborhood telling people that it was haunted. But then we started staying there on weekends while we were working on the other properties. And we had things happen to us that weren't things going bump in the night. Things would disappear. And look high and low and not be able to find them. And then two days later, they would show up right where they had been or someplace else in the house. Um, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. I, I had one story that got me on my ghost story on TV. Now, uh, 
Now, yeah, uh, before we get to, to any of the other stories, is did you find out eventually about a uh, history of the house and what could have been maybe a cause for this energy? You know, I searched. I searched the uh, records. We, it's the county seat, so the courthouse wasn't very far. And I was coming up during the week and working sometimes, too, and I would go over to the courthouse and spend time going through the records, trying to track down anything I could find about this house. And I couldn't find anything. The the meets and bounds descriptions didn't fit this house. And I've even had people in Austin go looking for it in the records and couldn't find it. Now the courthouse had a fire at some point in its history. And so some of the records may have been lost to a fire. Uh, But as far as Records of, of any death, murder, what have you, there isn't anything. Now, there's been a lot of people that have investigated the house and have told us that they have talked to murder victims or different uh, entities and, and told us, you know, their findings but no one has been able to produce a solid piece of evidence that says that's what happened. You know, a newspaper article or a yearbook or anything. Now I know of one person who did die in the property and she does not haunt the place at all. No one's ever talked to me about her. She, she owned the house two owners before us. And we know for a fact she died in the house of cancer. Now, she had a ghost that haunted her. And that ghost still shows up from time to time in the house. Because I recognize the description that people have of her. But the woman we actually know died there doesn't show up ever. And uh, there's you know no approximately how old the house is, Linda. No, we do. That's one of the things we tried to trace was when was it built, and what we do know is that the house started as a one-room cabin, and we're pretty sure it was in the 1840s, maybe the 1850s, which is about the time Texas was incorporated as a state. And about the time that Cook County, which is where Gainesville is, was incorporated as a county, was in the 1840s. Uh, But we don't have an exact date. But it started as a one-room cabin. And instead of adding on to that cabin, they brought in another cabin and married the two together. And from there, it just, they added in, they added to the back, they added to the side, they added to the middle, they added upstairs. It's just become this uh, maze of rooms because you have to walk through one room to get to another room. Uh, People get lost in there. We have a map (laughs) of the house. (laughs) How many stories is it? Is it three stories? No, it's only two. It's only two stories. Did you uh, do any research on the history of the land at all? No. Okay. That might be I mean, uh, we couldn't, interesting. We couldn't find the history into. of the house. So mm-hmm. we don't we don't know where to look for the history of the land. All right. Yeah, that might be that would definitely be something to uh, to further research. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the most profound experiences that you've had personally in the house. Well, you want me to tell you the My Ghost Story experience? Sure. Okay. Uh, it was it was a summer day, and in Texas it gets... Where are you? I'm in Colorado. Colorado. It does not get as hot there as it does in Texas. <laughs> it gets very, very hot. It'll be 110 degrees outside uh, midday. And it was about midday that I was working on ripping carpet out of a bathroom. Why people put carpet in a bathroom, I will never understand. But I was over there ripping carpet out of this bathroom and there was no air conditioning and it was hot. And I was in this little tiny bathroom ripping carpet out. 
and I overheated. And so I decided I'm going to go back to the house and take a shower and cool down. And we had air conditioning in the house, just window units, but it was air conditioning. So I got back over and I'm undressing to get into the shower. And my husband had already quit for the day. He was sitting in the bedroom. And at the time I had lost 15 pounds, which was, you know, a good bit. And he, he told me that I was looking good and I thanked him for it. And I went on into the shower. Now having window units, there was no window unit in the bathroom. So I left the door open so that the cooler air could come into the bathroom and help cool me down. And I'm standing in the shower, just letting the cold water wash over me. And I see my husband come from the bedroom and he stands in the doorway to the bathroom. And he said, looking good again. And I said, well, thank you again. And he said something and I said something and we had a little conversation and then he walked off towards the other direction of the house. And I thought he was going to get some coffee or something because he drinks coffee 24 seven and it doesn't keep him from sleeping. I mean, he can drink a pot of coffee at two o'clock in the morning and go to sleep. Uh, I can't drink a cup of coffee in the morning and go to sleep that night. Anyway, 30 seconds later, here he comes from the bedroom again and stands in the doorway. And I looked and I'm looking through a cheap Walmart curtain, the kind that you can almost see through, but not quite. And so it's a silhouette that I'm seeing more than the actual person. But, you know, he and I were the only ones in the house. So I have to assume that it was him that I was talking to the first time. But the second time he came in, I said, what are you doing? And he said, who were you talking to? I said, I was talking to you. He said, I've been in the bedroom. I haven't been out here. And I was like, holy shit. I understand now why people wouldn't stay in this house. That's, that's, that's freaky. It wasn't my husband. And then we come to find out that it may have been my first husband who died of cancer like 15 years before. Uh, and that's another story. But someone recognized him as an apparition that they saw in the house. And it, it well could have been my first husband that I was talking to and who was talking to me. So that's my most memorable story of me personally having a, a conversation with an apparition. That's interesting. Uh, now, what about um, other folks? Uh, ha have we had reports from, from other people having unexplained phenomena throughout the house? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. a few of those. Uh, well, I have a lot of pictures, and some of them are on the website. Um, there was one group that used to come every month for years. They would come every month as a group and just study the house. And there was one room that they were intent on studying and it had a mirrored door in it. And it was an old, well, it still is an old, old, old door that, uh, you know how old silver-backed doors tend to pucker and the silver starts coming loose and they just have all these details in them. And you could paradoia all kinds of things into this mirror. But they studied it so much that they knew every possible paradoia. And so they were looking for things beyond that. But what they found on two occasions, two months in a row, was a shadow person in that mirrored door and the mirror was reflecting a part of the room that was also in the shot and there was no shadow in the shot only in the mirror and they got this twice now how, how many they don't come how, anymore 
You said you've had teams of investigators come. How many people or how many different teams and how many different times have you had the house investigated? Hundreds. Hundreds. Hundreds of teams. Uh, We had a team there Saturday night and we had a team there last Wednesday and we had teams there last Friday and Saturday before that. We have teams almost every weekend. Not every weekend, but almost every weekend. And rarely, in the last few years, rarely do they come away with nothing. Do they all kind of experience the same kind of phenomenon, uh, Linda? Because I always find it really interesting when you can have one person in a house in a haunted area or somewhere that's uh, supposed paranormal activity, and one person experiences something and then the rest of the group doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, I think. Oh, yes. Yes. They're individual experiences, definitely. Now, one thing the house is very well known for in this part of the country is EVPs, electronic voice phenomenon. Um, You practically have to not bring a recorder with you to not get an EVP in this house. And I'm talking about a class A. I don't need to blow it up on some software They just send it to me and I play it on my laptop and I can hear what's being said in the background. We have one EVP that finally convinced my husband of what was going on. Uh, There were two people in the room, a man and a woman. And they were talking about, he was talking about bringing his friends to investigate. It was his first time there. And she worked for me. So she'd been there quite a few times. And they were talking about it and talking about the people on the front porch. And suddenly in the background, well, not really in the background, it was almost as if they were talking into the microphone. A man who's not the man that was in the room says, bring them all. And it was so clear. I should have sent you a copy of that file so that you could play it. Uh why didn't I send you files? That's okay. Go ahead and send those to me and I'll pop them in. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, that's just one example of an EVP that was crystal clear and totally obvious that it wasn't the man that had been speaking. They were the only two in the room. And here's a man saying, bring them all. Yeah. Yeah. That- has there been any video uh, evidence of any, you mentioned um, uh, a picture earlier and the EVPs, has anyone caught any apparitions or oh, yes. or anything on video? Oh, we call them dorbs at Hill House because it's a very dusty place and the odds are it's dust, but there have been some orbs that seemed intelligent And there have been orbs that many of us have seen with our own eyes. This is not through a camera, not through a video recorder or video camera. This is with our own eyes, a ball of light floating through the air. Uh, And several of us have seen it in various places in the house. Um, But as far as apparitions, yes, we have pictures of apparitions that are very clearly something. What is that camera that it takes a picture and it has stick people in it? Oh, I know Do you know the one I'm... T- it's like an XL, it's XL something, I know what you mean. Is, where it, is where that it tracks it? out the apparition of movement? Yes, we've got lots of those, lots of those. Uh, it's very hard to go into the house with one of those cameras and not pick up some kind of entity. Uh, Has anyone ever been harmed or hurt or pushed or shoved or scratched or attacked? Scratched, scratched, yes. Uh, there have been a few scratches. Hurt, not really. One woman was scratched through a boot. She was wearing boots and she had a scratch under the boot. She wow. doesn't come back anymore either. <laughs> yeah. Now that I think of it. 
you're definitely going to have to send me uh, the audio and as many video picture files as you want, and I'll definitely pop them up before this recording goes out for sure. Uh, now, is there any areas of the house that are more uh, have more energy, have more activity than others? No. It's the whole thing? The whole house. It's the whole house. We used to think there, there, there's got to be one area that's more so than the other, but there's not. Now, there's a well in the middle of the house under the house that we went ahead and cut out the floorboards so that you can see down into the well from the house, uh, put in glass, put in a, a structure around it so that people couldn't walk on it. And we didn't cut the, the beams. Is that what they're called? The, the two by sixes. Right. Uh, we didn't cut those. So you've got to look through, you know, a couple pieces of wood, but you can see down into the well, but also you can see that there is a well and that's always been an active area. And people say, I've had people tell me that that is a portal, but then I've had people tell me that the whole house is a portal. Well, that's what I was just going to get to. You've had plenty of investigations. What are some of the, the conclusions that these investigators have come up with as to the causes? You know, you have, like you said, portals, negative residual energy, uh, actual haunting spirits. What do what did some of the uh, you know so-called experts think about what is causing this? Uh, most of them think that there's some kind of portal either in the well or in the house itself, or that there are several portals in the house. Because it, the weird thing is the whole neighborhood is old, but nobody else has activity but this house that we're aware of. And I have personally worked in several of the houses that are contiguous to this house. And I've never had any activity in any of them. But this house is very active. Well, it's interesting how they would build the house on top of the well. Like, why would you? Well, when they originally, the when they originally built the house, the well was in the backyard. Mm -hmm. But then they expanded, and when they expanded, they didn't bother to cover up the well; they just built the house over it. And uh, I assume you've had uh, psychic mediums or intuitives. Oh, yes. Uh, I've had one psychic medium that pulled up to the front of the house. And she had been in the house before, but it was an active evening for her. They were doing seances over at the hanging tree location. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. Yeah. But she had been over there doing seances with a group. It was a large event. And they brought her over to the house where she was supposed to continue to do readings, like a gallery reading, and she wouldn't get out of the car. She said, there's just too much activity tonight. I can't handle it. She could tell from the car that she was not going in that night. And she didn't. But yes, psychics. I've never had a psychic tell me there was no activity. <laughs> in the house they always experience something now regular people don't always experience something but usually if you've got a group of people in the house at least one of them is going to have an actual experience where they get touched or they get like a chill like you know a cold hand grabbing their leg or something you know something like that uh and they always get EVPs. It didn't used to be that way in the first year, I'd say. But as the more people came, the more the activity ramped up. I mean, it was active from day one. You mentioned but, something, uh, a hanging tree. Could you, what is oh, this? Yes. Okay. If you go online to Google and type in the great hanging it will take you to Gainesville, Texas. This doesn't where, sound good. No, it's not. <laughs> it's uh, 
the the facts are not fully clear on exactly what happened. Well, we know exactly what happened, but why what happened happened. Uh, at the beginning of the Civil War, now we're, like I said, right on the border with Oklahoma, which at the beginning of the Civil War was not a state. It was Indian territory. But there were people trying to settle Oklahoma. So there were people that were north of the, the, the line, the state line. And there were people that were south of the state line in Gainesville and Cook County. And they had kind of a cattlemen's association kind of thing where they would meet once a month and discuss, you know, whatever those people discuss. And there were people in the group that disagreed with Texas siding with the South. They felt like it might have been better to side with the North. And there was a Southern encampment of soldiers not too far from Gainesville. And somehow word got back to them and the leaders of the city that, you know, there were people in this group that objected to being aligned with the South. And they were unceremoniously rounded up. And in the following two weeks, 42 men were hanged. They started with four or five, and there was a tribunal. Uh, and the tribunal found the first four or five guilty and, you know, hanged them for treason at the hanging tree. And I think if I remember correctly, their bodies were then taken back to the place that is now called Ott's Furniture Place. And that place is haunted, too. There, every building in downtown Gainesville is probably haunted. You can go in and get activity in most of them, but uh, they won't admit it. This they, tree is they, on your property? This, the no, tree no. Okay. It's about three or four blocks from us. I got you. So it's very convenient for an event to have some people at my house and some people over at the hanging tree and kind of swap people out because my house is only 3,000 square feet. It won't hold, you know, 40 or 50 people. You have to switch people out. Anyway, towards the end, the, the mobs that were gathering for these hearings started saying, look, if the, the tribunal was saying, okay, I think we've gone far enough. And the mob was saying, no, you haven't. You better give us some more people to hang or we'll hang you. Now, that's one side of the story. Anyway, over the course of the two weeks, 42 men were hanged for treason against Texas and the Southern Confederacy. And that site, now the hanging tree is not there anymore. There's a tree there, but it was probably a baby when this all took place. Are you hearing the train? Yeah, that's probably what I heard. <laughs> that's also another reason that people cite for the house having activity is the energy from the train. It's very, very close to Hill House. Now, I'm not in Hill House right now, but I'm only about a house away from Hill House. Uh, the train goes by. It's on a limestone bed. The vibrations from a train are said to travel about a thousand yards, I think, maybe feet, I don't know, but whatever it is, we fall in that zone. And they're saying, given the, the vibrations, it could create a lot of energy through the limestone and provide energy to the house. Of course, why that wouldn't apply to the rest of the houses in the neighborhood, I don't know. But that's been given, you know, in addition to portals and what have you, that has been cited as a, a reason. Well, from Does the what house you just have uh, limestone in it. 
Is the foundation of the house built by limestone? Or no, it's a it's a pier and beam. Yeah, you can crawl the, under the house. You can crawl under it. Now, from what you said, now, it says it sounds like the area has a lot of trauma in general around surrounding it from from that era. Yes, yes, it does. And to go a little further, now we have no proof of this, but. A lot of people have confirmed that this was probably a speakeasy during the uh, prohibition, prohibition days, that this was probably a speakeasy. And from what we know about speakeasies, there were probably ladies of the evening in the upstairs bedrooms. Uh, there was probably a card room, which oftentimes were known to end in somebody getting shot or stabbed or worse. Uh, and there's evidence to support the fact that it might have been a speakeasy. You know what a speakeasy is? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so there's that. That's very interesting. Ryder, uh, any other questions uh, about the, the house or anything surrounding that? Uh, where where would you rate the house on uh, the, I know that it's, you know, the most claimed to be the most haunted house in uh, Texas. Where, where on the level of the most haunted in the United States do you think that it would fall on? Well, HGTV put it at slot number 10 when they did a special, uh, the most, the creepiest homes in America. Now this wasn't the most haunted. This was the creepiest homes in America. And we were number 10. That was a special that was done a few years ago. Uh, most haunted. We're probably down around the 12th or the 13th. I mean, we're not as, we're, we're, we're not as active, I don't think, as like the Axe Murder House or whatever it is, or the St. Mary's or St. Mary, the ship or the Winchester House. I mean, there's places that are worse. Have because you experienced, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just no, want no. to know if, uh, was the first time that you'd experienced anything paranormal? Was it in that house or had you experienced no. paranormal activity before? I had experienced, I had experienced paranormal activity. I didn't really know that it was a thing until this house started happening to us. And that's what happened. It happened to us. We discovered it was haunted and told a couple of people and they wanted to come investigate and, they told their friends and they wanted to come investigate. And finally, I said, you know what? Would you pay to come investigate? And they said, sure. And I said, now this was back in 2007. I don't even know if Ghost Hunters was on yet. And finding Ghost Hunters wasn't as easy as it is today. Today, you can throw a rock and hit a ghost hunting team, you know. But back then, you couldn't. It, our first team that came and investigated came up from Galveston. That's probably where you read about Galveston. Uh, and they left in the middle of the night. And on the way out said, by the way, you do have activity. Uh, and that was our first, you know, indication that it was in fact haunted. Um I forgot where we were. Have you had any big time uh, paranormal investigators come to investigate your property? Like uh, you just mentioned uh, ghost hunters and, you know, there's ghosts. What are you familiar with? Are you familiar with Brian Harnois? No, I'm not. He was on ghost hunters the first season. He was one of the original ghost hunters. Uh, he, he passed away, didn't he? No. Of a different guy. You're thinking of a different guy. Okay. He's still around, but he dropped out of the paranormal. And that's where we were, me and my paranormal experiences. I thought they were just weird things that happened around me. Uh, 
I, I used to own a dental laboratory and there were times in one location that people would hear someone calling my name. I wouldn't hear it, but they would hear it and think that it was another person in the lab calling my name and they would go to see if they could help since I was obviously too busy. And no one had called my name and I hadn't heard it. The people around me had heard it. Uh, we had one of those alarms that when you walked through the front door, a bell would ring. And one morning the bell rang, but nobody walked in. But about the time it would take them to get from there to the back of the lab where the break room was, the TV would turn on by itself. So I'm guessing that uh, I've been affected by the paranormal for a long time. Now, uh, but I didn't create this activity at Hill House because we've got a woman that pointed to it and said it's been haunted for 30 years or more. So, you know, that wasn't me. Well, while we're talking about uh, your personal past experiences, uh, I'd also like to hear you told me that you had a near-death experience way back in 1983, and I'd love to hear about that. I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, and that, that changed me a lot. Uh, I had been in the hospital for a couple of weeks. They were trying to find out what was wrong with me. They went in and did a surgery and slipped. The knife slipped and they cut uh, my ureter in two. And they had to go back in because the whatever they did to fix it didn't work. And they had to go back in in less than 48 hours, which... You don't do that. When someone's been under, you wait at least 72 hours before you go back in. But they had to put me under, you know, in a smaller amount of time because it was critical. Anyway, they took me up to surgery, emergency surgery, and I was out. Uh, they had put me under. But at one point, I was floating above the operating table and I watched everyone scurrying around like they had they were in a hurry and they brought in a crash cart and they were trying to resuscitate me and I was like on the ceiling watching and then I it was like I got bigger not, not that I went up higher, but I got bigger and I could see the room above the surgery and I could see the operatory I was in and I could see the operatories on either side. So I was getting bigger. And at, at one point I could see the whole hospital and I saw my husband, my late husband in the room I had been in and they had told him that he needed to clear out the room because I wouldn't be coming back there. And he thought they were telling him I was dead because I had been that critical. And he had gone to lunch or dinner or something and come back and, you know, nobody told him what had happened. Anyway, the next thing I knew I was in ICU and it was over. But seeing the world from that perspective and knowing that I was clinically dead for those few minutes, however long it was, and that I didn't just disappear, I didn't, you know, my spirit continued to exist, mm -hmm. made everything a little bit different for me. I had been a Christian. I'm not a Christian now. 
I had believed in the Holy Spirit and the Spirit and uh, but from a Christian perspective that I don't see it from now. I there was no judgment, there was no hell or heaven waiting. It was just a continuation in a different form. And Hill House Manor just reinforces it because what we have is intelligent interactions. Like if you get EVPs at Hill House, they're not just random EVPs. They're a response to something you've said, not in an interview situation. If you go into Hill House Manor and start interviewing the spirits, what's your name? When did you die? Blah, 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 blah. They're not interested. They've heard it all before. But if you sit around and start having a discussion and record it, they will try to jump into the discussion. They will interact. They will. They want their voice heard. And that's what I find funny about people that want to go in and do an interview in a place that, I mean, Yes, the spirits change from week to week. There's no guarantees who you're going to run into at Hill House. On any given week or weekend, you may run into, I mean, we've got some that people have named. We've got a grumpy old man. We've got a cowboy. We've got the kids. We've got a nurse. We've got a school teacher. Uh, we've got a lot of different characters that are recognizable, but they're not always there. Hmm. There's no guarantees of who's going to be there this weekend for whatever team is investigating this weekend. And they may end up talking to someone that we've never heard of before. So and I don't give out. Go ahead. Sorry. Do you think it's more of an, in, like you said, an intelligent haunting, or do you think it, there's some residual kinds of hauntings there too? Because, like you said, like when people go in, they, I don't like it whenever they, you know, demand that a spirit or a, a ghost or something, you know, does something. Like they don't work on our time. If they're no. going to come through, they're going to come through when they want to come through. If they're exactly intelligent. So, do, is it more of an intelligent haunting there or yes. is there some kind of uh, residual phenomenon going on as well? I don't know about the residual phenomenon. I know about the intelligent phenomenon. I've had people tell me that they did not believe in intelligent hauntings until they came to Hill House Manor and had conversations with the spirits. And now they're convinced they, they may be rare, but they do happen. And they happen a lot at Hill House Manor. Are most of the interactions that you have others have experienced, are they benevolent for the most part? I mean, I know you said a couple of people have gotten scratched here or there. Uh, what's the overall energy like? We work very hard to keep it a positive energy. Like we had a team there Saturday night that claims that uh, they encountered a demon. Now that may or may not be true, but we will definitely in the next week or two be taking actions to get rid of that because that's something we don't tolerate. We, we go to great lengths in many ways to keep the energy positive. We want you to have an experience at Hill House, but we don't want you to have a bad experience, a demonic experience. They're just not welcome. Well, unfortunately, Even, Linda, people are scared of what they can't understand anyway. So it might not have been something negative. They just perceived it to be negative. And then, well, they uh, claim to have an EVP where the creature was screaming Zozo or Zuzu or something like that, a demon name. Uh, which I don't know, wasn't that in Ghostbusters? 
Well, we've come to learn, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of uh, different paranormal investigators and personalities and researchers on that, you know, a lot when you're dealing with a lot of this stuff, there's tricksters. There are uh, spirits or energies that want you to think something that they aren't maybe either for attention or they're stuck in a certain, you know, uh, consciousness aspect. But uh, there are th- Definitely entities out there that'll try and get you to believe that there are something that they're not. Uh, and I've found that uh, the most often that investigators find that that's what these things are as opposed to actual uh, demonic entities. But then again, it could be. I don't know. Well, we had an instance one one night that uh, a woman came out to the front porch. We have a, a great front porch it's enclosed on three sides so that you can be in the weather without being in the weather uh and it's a gathering place the less people smoke the less of a gathering place it becomes used to be there'd be you know eight people out on the front porch at any given time smoking now three or four maybe two but that used to be my favorite place because you'd sit around and and have a conversation Uh, but one girl came out and she said, there's a demon in the murder room. And I was like, tell me about it. And she said, well, it's a demon. I said, how do you know it's a demon? Did it tell you it was a demon? Yes. How did it tell you? Well, we asked it if it was a demon and it said, yes. I said, so it didn't tell you it was a demon. You told it, it was a demon. She said, well, maybe. I said, now, I told you that there is an entity in the house that doesn't like women. At least not modern women. It's an old entity. It's from the 1800s. And that's when women wore skirts. Women made babies. Women went barefoot and pregnant. And, you know, it it is not fond of modern women. And it will sit around and have conversations, though, if there's a bunch of guys. So I told the guys to go back there and try just having a conversation and see if he'll join in. Well, she decided she had to go along with them. Well, I had already told her that there's an entity that doesn't like women and doesn't want to converse with women. So... It figured out a way to get rid of her and make it all guys. It said it was a demon. Well, it didn't even say it was a demon. They said it was a demon, but it played along. It it saw this as a perfect opportunity to get rid of her because he saw her getting scared of the idea that it was a demon. So she left and they continued to have their conversation and they got some EVPs and there was no more discussion of demons. But if I hadn't stepped in, that story would have been out there that they had found a demon in the murder room and, oh, my God, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But I, I did step in and show her that logically it wasn't a demon. It was just a spirit, a curmudgeon old man pretending he was a demon to get rid of her. And that was the last we heard of that. I don't think that's going to be the situation with what happened last weekend, but who knows? I I will get to the bottom of it and do what needs to be done. Now, when you say do what needs to be, what, what would be your protocols if you were to find something nefarious there? I would first try to handle it myself with saging first and reclaiming the house and basically telling it that it's my house. It's not welcome. Leave, do all the things you do. And if that didn't work, then I would call in the heavier guns. I have friends that know how to deal with these things. And that I can call on when needed. Mm-hmm. Very good. Any other questions, uh, Ryder? 
Have you had to do that before? Have you had to call in somebody to remove yes. the uh, negative entity? Yes. Now, I'm not saying it was a demon, but it was definitely a negative energy that I didn't know how at the time I might have been able to, if, if it was now, I might be able to deal with it. But at the time, I didn't know enough to know how to truly cleanse the, the area. Uh, when we first started giving tours and having investigations, we had a girl who was a psychic. And I mean, this girl was a psychic who got paychecks from the FBI for helping solve murders. So this was, in my opinion, a true psychic. She came through on the tour. And as we were walking through the murder room, and this is how the murder room got its name, by the way. She said, there's a dead guy right here in the path of where we had been walking. And I said, do tell. But I didn't know enough at the time what questions to ask. But she said, there's a dead guy here. He's laying on the floor and he grabs at people as they walk through. He, he grabs at their legs or their calves or, you know, whatever. And that explained cold spots on people's legs and shirts or coats being tugged, uh, pants being tugged that the person involved didn't even know about it. It was someone in the, in the rest of the group that noticed, uh, you know, the, the shirt being tugged or whatever. Uh, anyway, she didn't say there's a murder victim laying on the floor stuck. She said, there's a dead guy, but everyone in the room started spreading the word about the murder victim. So that's how the murder room got its name. But when we found out that there was a being stuck, we found a spirit rescue group. And in fact, that was their name, Spirit Rescuers. And we had them come in and rescue the spirit. Now, I have a different philosophy on that, too. You don't cross these spirits over and they're gone. You free them from the location they're stuck in. And they're free to come and go as they please in the future. I, I truly believe that there is no uh, place that you go and you can't come back. I hate to say heaven because I believe there probably is a heaven. If when you die, what you're expecting and want is heaven, then you will probably go to your perception of heaven and be very happy there. Same thing applies to hell and you may be stuck there. But if you're just freed up from the location that you're stuck in, which I believe happens when you die in circumstances that create a shock, an emotional shock. I believe that's what traps you in a location, the shock. And if that shock can be processed for that spirit, then that can free them up to go wherever they want to go and do whatever they want to do. That's my philosophy. I think that's somewhat ac accurate. I have a, a couple of friends that actually do what they call astral spirit rescue, where in astral states they can actually find spiritual entities that are trapped in certain frequencies or, or certain lower densities and get them free from, from that, from whatever they're stuck in, for whatever exactly. reason they got stuck there. And uh, they can do this uh, you know, through their own mental protection, which I find fascinating. Exactly. That's that what they do with me is they show me their pictures. That's how I describe it. I don't communicate the way you and I are communicating, but I get their pictures and I get to free them up 
from those pictures. And they're always traumatic pictures that created the shock that caused the emotional attachment to the location. And if you can get them to look at those pictures and free their emotions up, you can free the being. And I think that's all a demon is for most situations of demons. Now, I'm not saying there are not demons. I'm just saying the large majority of what people assume are demons are not demons. They are beings stuck, trapped in an emotional situation that they can't free themselves of. And they're projecting their pictures on people. The people may not see the pictures, but they feel the emotions. Like if you've ever walked into a place that you just felt terrified, maybe, just maybe, there is a trapped being who is terrified. And you are picking up on that emotion. There's nothing there to be terrified of, but you are empathically picking up on that emotion and so you become terrified so you believe there must be something there to be terrified of and it's just this chain this snowball that's my personal belief right on uh now anything Ryder? before we close out uh anything else for uh linda no, just that uh, I think that uh, that theory is, is spot on. And I had a, a theory that, you know, the I know that your house doesn't have the residual kinds of activities, but I think that it's possible you're talking about the trap and when people die and they cross over, they can get stuck in this kind of memory of themselves whenever they were alive and they keep living out that memory over and over and over again. And I would agree. What creates the uh, um, the residual types of hauntings that's going on? It's just them reliving the tape over and over again, not realize maybe not realizing that that they're dead and they they can't move on. But the intelligent hauntings is something completely different. I, I don't really logically. I can't wrap my brain around why, if they're intelligent if, and they, they can see us, why that that they would be trapped. If they can communicate with us and that they can um, move objects, if they can touch us, then um, I haven't quite figured out how or why that they would be able to be like in in any kind of trap. Because if they could see. Uh, an object and be able to move it or touch someone in the physical world, then that they would have to realize that, you know, that they're dead. Right. I don't know. That's right. just my uh, thought process on it, but uh, thank right. you. Thank you, Linda. I appreciate you a lot. Yeah. Linda, any, any comments on that before we close? I agree. Uh, it, an intelligent haunting I, I think that we probably had more residual hauntings when we first started than intelligent hauntings. But like I said, we would go in and free them up. And they like coming to play at Hill House just as much as investigators like coming to play at Hill House. It's something to do. I mean, eternity is a very long time. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Got to have that experience. Well, this was great. Yeah. Linda, uh, you uh, you actually offer tours, right? Oh, yes. Well, what we offer is investigations. Okay. You can reserve the house. Let's say you wanted to come on a Friday night. You could get there anytime between 2 in the afternoon and 8 o'clock. We've even had people arrive as late as 10 or 11. I don't give a tour at 10 or 11. They're on their own. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and people who've been before are on their own. They don't need a tour again. But I will give a tour to newbies if they want it. Um, we have a lockbox situation where they get the code the day before they go and they can let themselves in. We have air conditioning in a couple of rooms. We have heat in a couple of rooms when it's needed. Um, but they get the house for the whole night. 
So if you start at, you know, six o'clock in the afternoon, you've got it until the next morning at nine, 10, 11, whatever time you want to head out. Uh, there, it's not a bed and breakfast. There's no linens. There's no place to take a, sh- well, there is a place to take a shower, but I wouldn't do it. The door doesn't lock. Uh, <laughs> But they can investigate and they can bring all the equipment they want. We have lots of cameras already set up so that if all you want to do is watch on cameras, you can do that. Or if you want to film our cameras, you can do that. Uh, We don't have any equipment that you can use. You have to bring your own equipment. Uh, We have a team that can sometimes be persuaded to accompany you on an investigation so that you can use their equipment. Uh, they're not always available, but they're available often and they don't charge anything. We charge. I mean, a Friday night is 175 bucks for up to 10 people and a Saturday night is 250 for up to 10 people. And you can have more people. You just have to pay more if you have more people. It's a it, people don't understand that, but it's a lot of wear and tear on the staircases. We've rebuilt the back staircase twice from people going up and down the stairs, up and down the staircase. They just wear things out. We've had to redo the bathroom, uh, the kitchen floor. Just, you know, there's a lot of maintenance involved when you have that many people coming through a house that often. You know, in your house, you go home, you sit down, you watch TV for a couple hours, you eat. You go back and watch some more TV, you know, whatever, go on the computer. You're not running around the house the whole time. But when you come to investigate a house, you are running around the house the whole time. And it, it does put wear and tear on the house. Well, that still sounds like a bargain for, you know, especially if you're having oh, that many yeah. people in there for sure. And it sounds yeah, like a you great can't time. get a hotel room for that. Yeah. Not around here. You can't get a hotel room for that. Right. Man, yeah, I I definitely if I'm ever passing through there, I definitely love to check that out myself. Uh, give people the the website and how could they can get in contact you if they'd like to. Uh, the well, the website is hillhousemanor.com. Manor is M A N O R. The best way to get in touch to reserve a night is to email me at Linda at hillhousemanor.com. That's about it. Great. Well, Linda, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I hope that uh, we get some people coming over and visit you. Thank you for having me. I had a good time. Great. Well, we'd have to talk again in the future for sure. And until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We will talk again tomorrow. We'll see you then. That's crazy.